Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. It does feel great in here. Amen. We haven't had AC fully working in 10 weeks. So uh, you can just praise the goodness of God for that alone. And uh, we're thankful for this space. We have, this is our 11th week actually in this new space. So if you're new, we're all kind of new to this place. And we are glad that you have joined us. We just wrapped up a series uh, on worship. We're now starting a new series called Why? And in this series called Why, we're going to ask that question, why? We're going to talk about some difficult questions about life and faith. And to do that, uh, it's a great opportunity to invite a friend. Lots of people have questions about God. Uh, typically, church, sometimes we don't think about it as a place where you can ask questions. Right? Anybody experienced that growing up or in the church? Maybe you left the church because you, you had some questions. You didn't feel like you could explore them safely, so you well, I'm going to go somewhere else. And the reality is we want to explore those questions together. Throughout the Bible, you see prophets like David, Jeremiah, multiple people asking questions over and over. And so we want to ask those questions within the context of Scripture and in the presence of God. And so invite a friend, a neighbor who knows Jesus, who doesn't, who has a question. Now, all of you have one person who is like that. And so we want you to invite them. These next four weeks, we'll be answering uh, some of these questions and to, to invite those people, we have these invite cards. And you got one of these when you walked in. You can put this on your fridge or you can give it to somebody else and just invite them over the next few weeks. I would encourage you to at least pray about who that person might be and to at least ask. You never know what God might do. Somebody invited you at some point and God changed your life. And so would you do that for someone else? Uh, before we dive into this new series, we did just end this series on worship. It was a six-week series on worship. And uh, I talked to some people, specifically worship leaders, and they were so thankful that we did a six-week series on worship and so amazed by that. But it wasn't just worship leaders. It was many of you, and it expanded and enriched your view of worship. And it's always a little sad for me. Maybe it's not for you, but it's sad for me when we end a series because we put a lot into that. And I'm like, that's over. Now we're on to something new. That's exciting, but it's a little sad. And so before we go into that, I want to end, uh, just continue where we left off last week. We talked about worship through giving. And if you missed it, we talked about uh, how giving is an act of grace. 2 Corinthians 8 talks about that. Uh, Paul talks about in that passage how giving is an act of grace, and it's just like every other spiritual discipline that we should excel in or grow in. And if you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it because we talked about how many of us, we don't think in terms of grace when we talk about giving or money. Uh, we think in terms of something else, something we've earned or something we seek approval for. Uh, but we don't think about it as grace and something to grow in. And so we want to recalibrate and, and associate it with grace so that we can grow in that grace of giving. And uh, giving is part of worship as an act of grace, but it also fuels mission. This week, we got to see a little bit of that. We were on campus here. This is a school who meets here, Phoenix Christian School, and we got to hand out cold brew coffee to all the parents and invite them to church. If you were here today because of that, we're so glad that you have joined us today. But we get to do things like that as we worship God, as we feel the mission of God through our giving. So if you haven't listened to that sermon, I would encourage you to do that. If you haven't started giving, I would encourage you to do that, that we, we say uh, around here, if you're not giving something that you would begin to give something. If you're giving something that you would decide and determine intentionally, a percentage that you would give, that you would give sacrificially. And just like Paul said, that we would grow in this act of grace, just like we do in every other part of our spiritual life. 
right? So we can't just take one Sunday to talk about that. We need to talk about that more and remind ourselves more of the grace of giving. And so I would encourage you uh, to pray about how am I doing in my giving? Where am, I in, where am I in that and how can I grow in that? We would do that together. Uh, so sad to end that series on worship, but I am excited to start this new series called Why. I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was a why kid. Any of you have a why kid? You don't have to think about it if you do. Uh, you would know. Because they ask, why, 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 why? Right? I was that kid, and I grew up in the church. When I say grew up in the church, I was born in a pew. Right? I was in church at least two times a week, uh, if not three some weeks. And I began to hear, as a little kid, I would hear all these massive truths about God and heaven and hell and salvation and all these different things from the Bible. And just being around the church all the time, hearing these massive and weighty truths, I would leave the church and ask, why? Right? So I remember vividly to this day, I would sit in my dad's little Ford red pickup truck. And he let me sit in the middle because I got to help him drive. Any of you do that? And maybe some of you are thinking, why did he let you drive? That's another question. But um, as I would do that, the shift was right here. I remember it vividly. I would get to do the wheel sometimes. But I would just ask my dad, like, why? Why do we need a, a savior? Like, I feel fine. What do I need to be saved from? Why? Well, why is there a hell? Why can't God just let everybody go to heaven? That seems like a nice thing to do. Why? And my poor dad, on the way home from church, had to an answer and dialogue with me in these questions. And listen, whether you were a why kid or not, we all have these questions. Right? And the reality is, if we don't address them, we will go on and doubt. We will drift away in doubt like many people you know of that have left the church. And we don't want to do that. We want to engage God with our questions because, listen, just like we sang at the very beginning of the service, God is bigger, God is stronger even than your questions. He can handle them. He's not shocked by them. And so maybe you have questions this morning. Maybe you're thinking, Tim, I don't need to bring a friend. I got some questions that I need to deal with. We're going to deal with them beginning today. And the first question we're going to deal with is maybe the hardest question, and that's why, why do bad things happen? Another way to say it, why, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Why is that? Why? More specifically, we can ask, this isn't hypothetical, right? We can ask, why is there so much violence? Why did a year ago today we see uh, violence across Charlottesville, Virginia? Somebody drive their car through a group of people. Why? Why does that happen? Why do we see so many school shootings? It seems like almost once a month, right, that this happens. There's a school shooting. It's, it's gone beyond schools to, to businesses and establishments, and there's what seems to be random acts of violence, and we just think, why? We see kids who don't have a father, and we think, why? We see kids not just who don't have a father but don't, don't have parents at all, and we think, Why? They're stuck in the system. They're in a foster home, and they can never get out, and that becomes generational in their life and goes to their kids. And we think, why? Like, why is there stress? Why is there anxiety? Why is there depression? Like, why? And again, it's not hypothetical. You and I experience this in your own life, in your family's life, in your friend's life. And so we want to ask the question, why do bad things happen and I believe God is going to be gracious to give us some answers. We're going to look at John chapter 9, and we're going to see an example of people asking essentially 
this question. Why? Why do bad things happen? We see it in our first point, which is reality. Uh, We see it in verse 1. Look at the verse with me. We're introduced to a man. Jesus is walking by, sees a man who is experiencing bad things, experiencing suffering. He's been blind since birth. And we see, see things like this in our day. We see things where there doesn't seem to be a direct cause, right? Like blind since birth. Why is that? Why did he lose his sight? That doesn't seem fair. And the disciples essentially are asking that questions. And we, we see things like that all the time, right? It's the things that have a direct cause, like one plus one equals two, that we're more comfortable with when it comes to evil and suffering. It's still hard, but we're more comfortable with it. We can compute that, calculate that in our minds. So if we see somebody who dies of a drug overdose, really sad, really hard, right? Especially if you know that person, but you think, well, man, he did so many drugs. It was such an addiction in his life. It finally overcame him. If we see somebody who has smoked their entire life and they get lung cancer, extremely sad, extremely hard, but we think, well, that makes sense. I mean, he smoked his whole life. I mean, that... That was bound to happen. We see somebody mishandle money. They go bankrupt. We think, man, that's really sad that they lost everything. But I can see there were patterns in that person's life that led to that. One plus one equals two. And while it's still hard, that evil, that suffering, we can go to sleep at night. That computes for us. But it's the evil that doesn't have a reason. The blind person from birth has no cause that we struggle with. And the question we usually go to in this moment is, how could a good God, a powerful God, allow that to happen, right? If God is all good, if God is all powerful, why is that happening? And you need to know as we ask that question, again, it's not a bad question, but it's not just a Christian question. And sometimes we forget this in our day. We have apologetics defending the Christian faith. And sometimes we think in our world, and maybe you see things like this on the news, that it's all about when something bad happens, they go talk to the pastor, the priest, and they say, hey, why did this happen? Right? As if Christians are the only ones who have to answer this question. Have you seen this? So we have apologetics. We have to defend this. And nobody else does. That's false, right? The reality is is that every faith has to answer this question, ask this question. Hindus have to ask this question. Why do these things happen? Muslims have to ask and answer this question. Even atheists, which you would say, well, that's not a faith. It is. It's a faith in yourself. You have to ask this question. We all have to wrestle with this question. It's not a Christianity problem only. It's a people problem. Everybody has to ask this question. And because it's such a hard question to ask, many of us will leave the faith and will say, well, if, if God is good and God is powerful and there's senseless evil, then wipe that good and powerful God out because he must not exist. If evil exists, then God can't exist, right? And many of us will do that and we're missing something really key there. And it's the fact that the reason that we're aware of good The reason that we're aware of evil is because there is good. And the reason there is good and we're even aware that there's good is because of God. 
You see it in the Bible, 66 books, 40-plus authors, authors written over 1,500 years. And one of the things it, it communicates over and over, not just the Ten Commandments, is a moral standard, a holiness and an evil, a righteousness and an unrighteousness, a good and a bad. And the way we're aware of that is because of God. You see, essentially, as we ask the question, why is there evil and suffering in the world? That's a biblical question. Do you see that? That comes from a biblical framework. Because as we ask why is there evil, we're saying there is good, and we're acknowledging that there's good. And as we acknowledge there's good, the only reason that there's good is because there's God. And we see that revealed to us in Scripture. But it's interesting, even though that's the case, we only ask why do bad things happen. We never ask why do good things happen. Do you notice that? Like, everything's going great in your life. The sun is shining because it is in Phoenix. Every day, and we never ask God, why is the sun shining? We only ask what? When is it going to stop? When is it going to rain? Right? And we don't think about, there are places, I know it's going to be hard for you to believe, there are places on this earth like Portland, like Seattle, where that ball of fire isn't seen anywhere. Right? We don't see the sun in those places, but we, we don't think about why does something good happen. We just think when something bad happens, well, why is this happening? Right? When you have a great commute to work and no traffic and nobody runs you off the road and everything goes well and you hit every green light, nobody asks when you get to work, God, why, why are these good things happening? No, it's when the bad things happen that we get on social media and we're like, traffic was a beast today. I need Jesus and so does everybody else. <laughs> right? And so we have this awareness of evil only because of good and only good because of God. Yet the only question we ever ask is why is there bad and not why is there good? And listen, can I submit to you that as we think about this issue, this question of why, we need to also ask why is there good? A pastor friend of mine said it this way. He said, we have a million reasons to trust God, but we will often look for the one not to. Can you relate to that? Do you see that in our culture? We have a million reasons to trust God. I mean, we are on a rock. Think about this. Spinning in space. That's earth. Why is that? Why aren't we flying off? Why is there gravity? Who thought that up? We never ask those questions. We only ask the questions when things get bad. Both are good. And both point us to God. And so there's some realities about evil and suffering that we have to deal with and we have to come to grips with. We have to ask these questions with the right framework. Our second point is root. Our second point is root. Verse 2, look at that verse. We see the disciples recognize evil and, and suffering in this man. That he's been blind since birth, and they begin to ask essentially the same question we're asking is, is, is why. They ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? That, that in that day that sin was thought of generationally, that, that people thought, okay, if your parents sinned, that's going to trickle down to you, and we see that in the Old Testament, which they would have read. You see that in people like David, that his sin affected his kids in very horrific ways. 
right? And so as they see this blind man, again, they're trying to compute, okay, he's blind since birth, one plus one. Oh, he must have sinned somehow. His parents must have sinned, and that equals two. And they're asking that question. And they're somewhat right to ask that question. Right? Sometimes we get on the disciples of like, how oh, disciples are so simple, like they see something bad happening, well, it must be because of sin, Jesus, why is that happening? And they were somewhat right to ask this question because they were aware that because there's evil, we must be aware of, of good, and because there's, we're seeing something happen, there must be something off, and again, they probably read the Old Testament, so they know that's because of sin. You, you see, in the beginning, things were good only. We didn't have evil. That lasted for two chapters. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Sin enters and invades the equation, Genesis chapter 3. And it affects and affects everything, right? And we see this even in a kid since birth, right? We see it most evidently in a kid. And some of you who don't have kids, you're thinking, Tim, kids are so sweet. What are you talking about? And I would tell you as someone who has three kids, is kids are sweet, but they are oh so sinful, Right? They are sweet, but they are sinful, and you see it from birth. I know just the other day, my three-year-old, we were sitting at the dinner table. My wife was out at a, a pastor wife's uh, Bible study that she goes to, and we're sitting at the dinner table, and my three-year-old is just talking to my six-year-old, right? just having a seemingly great conversation. We're eating. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden, she takes her fork, and I kind of see it out of the corner of my eye. She takes her fork, and she stabs him in the face. Now, why? Right? Why did that happen? I mean, seriously, think about this. Three years old, have I ever taught her to do that? Hopefully not, right? Not only have I not taught her to take a fork and stab it in someone else's face, I have taught her the appropriate thing to do with that fork, right? The only association she has with that fork is what? Eating. We get forks out no other time. I don't know how you do it at your house. No other time but to sit down at the dinner table, we set the plates, we put out the fork, and we begin to eat our food with the fork. The only association is a three-year-old girl she would have is a fork equals eating food, but yet in that moment she takes the fork and stabs somebody in the face. Now, that brings us to a bigger question, is what makes somebody do that, Right? The answer is, she is sweet. My, my three-year-old daughter is so sweet, but she's, she's sinful. Right? And it started in, in Genesis 3. And what's interesting about Genesis 3 is, is Adam and Eve sin. God says to them, cursed is the, the ground now. Because you have disobeyed me, because you have rebelled against me, because you have sinned, Cursed is the ground. He doesn't just say cursed are you. He says cursed is the ground. What, what God is implying there when we see a trajectory of throughout the Bible and life is that sin affects everything. That it starts internally and it moves out relationally. It moves out sexually. It moves out financially. It moves out politically. The cursed is the ground, that we now live in a sinful world. So babies grow up, and they're sinful. So everyone, to some extent, is sinful. It would be easier if it was just some people over there. 
like the people in prison, like the murderers, the adulterers, like the robbers, the terrorists. If it was just some people out there that were sinful and we could say, hey, I got a great, great idea. Let's take all those people. Let's banish them to an island and then everything will be good. Here's the problem with that. You would still be here and you're sinful and I'm sinful and it starts internally and it moves externally into everything we do. And so to some extent, the disciples are asking the right question. There, there, there has to be some kind of sin involved. But, but here's three categories of sin and evil and suffering that I think will help be helpful for you. Uh, there's the sin that we've done. There's the sin that's been done to us. And then there's the effects of just living in a sinful world. And so it's possible today that some of you are experiencing suffering because of sin you have committed. If you commit adultery, that's going to have effects and consequences in your marriage. If you steal something, that's going to have effects and consequences in your life. Those are extreme examples, but if you just lie, just a little white lie, that's going to break trust with your relationship. If you gossip, that's going to damage your friendship, right? Some of the sin, some of the pain you may be experiencing is because directly of sin you have done. But not always. Right? We see the, the entire book of Job in the Old Testament. Job's friends come along and they're saying the same thing. Job, what have you done? I mean, you're sick. Everything's being taken away from you. You must have sin. But Job hadn't sinned. And so there's another category when evil and suffering happens, it's, it's also sometimes the sin that's been done to you. That didn't happen with Job, but that happens all the time in our culture, and we see that in life, right? If somebody says something belittling to you, they judge you, what happens? It hurts. Or we experience some pain in that, some insecurity in that. Our, our trust is broken with that person. If someone abuses you physically, verbally, mentally, spiritually, if they manipulate you, that begins to create a distance between that person. That, that sin done to you causes pain, causes suffering. And it's possible that some of you may be experiencing pain and suffering because of sin done to you, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently. It's possible that that may happen to you. But that doesn't always happen. That there's some sin, that's our third category, that is just the effects of living in a sinful world. Someone who is blind from birth, it's the effects of living in a sinful world. A kid who grows up without a father, it's the effects of living in a sinful world. Shootings, mass murderers, sickness, cancer. There's not a sin that they did. There's not a sin that's been done to them. It's the effects. Cursed is the ground. It's the effects of living in a sinful world. And so there is a root of evil and suffering, and it comes from sin. But what we see from the disciples is in this particular case, it's not sin this guy has done. It's not sin that's been done to him, that there's something greater going on. Look at verse 3 with me. We see our third point is redemption. Verse 3 says, Jesus, as he often does, he doesn't answer their question specifically. He answers it more broadly. And what I can say as I read this verse is, for some of you, 
Again, we are in the one plus one equals two. We want a simple answer, a direct answer. Check engine light is on. It must be because of this, right? And what Jesus is going to help us do is take us a little bit higher than that, that it's not that simple, that there's more going on. And what we see in verse three is the more going on. And it says that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why is this happening? So this man might reveal God, the works of God. Verse four through seven, as you continue to look at those verses, Jesus says, we must do the work of God. I am the light of the world. He contrasts light with darkness. Jesus Jesus makes it clear, God is good. I am good. There is no evil within me that what I will do is bring light into darkness and that the reason this is happening is ultimately going to show that. And he takes, he does something really interesting. He takes some saliva and he makes mud and he puts it on the man and he heals them, right? And so in this specific situation, we get to see an immediate redemption. We see a blind man from birth get healed miraculously and redeemed. And listen, some of you have seen that, right? Some of you have seen a bad situation. Immediately, God steps in, a good God, God who is light in the midst of darkness, and he heals that cancer. He restores that marriage, right? They were Far gone, they hated each other. They, neither one of them would apologize. It took years, but by God's grace, they, they reconciled and they restored their marriage. Right? We've all seen these stories of redemption. But what about the stories that are not so obvious? Because we've seen those too, right? Verse 3 is still true in those circumstances. Why did this happen? It's so the, the works of God might be displayed. Even when we don't immediately see it. This is what it says in Romans 8, 28, when it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, a lot of us know this verse. It's a very popular verse. But one thing we typically leave out in this verse is a particular phrase, and it's his purpose. We sing songs about this verse in our church, right? All things work together for my good. We, we love that song. Maybe you say that to yourself. You don't know much about the Bible. You're like, I can get behind that verse. All things work together for my good. Yes, Jesus. But there's a second half to that verse. It's according to his purposes. Tim Keller, author and pastor, says it this way. This way. He says, when we ask these kinds of questions, like, why do bad things happen that seemingly, seemingly are pointless? Like, what's, what's going on there? He says, there's an assumption behind that question, and it's this. He says, if evil appears pointless to me, therefore, it must be pointless. If evil appears pointless to me, like, I don't see the guy healed physically. I don't see the marriage restored I don't see that abuse that that person experienced as a child somehow changed. In fact, I saw that person just dive in deep to depression till the day they died. Like, I don't get to to see that. There must not be a point to that evil. And the reality is what we're saying, we're getting on a, a narrow view, a lower view, and we're saying, if it doesn't make sense to me, it must not make sense at all. And the reality is Romans 8 28, that verse we love to sing about, teaches us that, yes, God does work things all together for your good, but he does it according to his purpose, not yours. And even when you can't see the point, 
You can trust that he does and that he will and that in eternity, the scope of eternity, God is a way better judge than you are and than I am. Like in the economy of God, God makes sure and will make sure that all sin goes punished. Nothing will escape his holiness. So all things do work together. All things get redeemed. But even when we don't get to see that, we can trust that God does. And God enacts that good. I remember uh, a few years ago, um, my wife and I went to La Jolla Beach in California. And there's a, a cove where you can swim with sea lions. Have you guys ever been there? It's amazing. It's also a little scary because these are wild animals that you're swimming with. But everybody's out there just like taunting the sea lions. It's a huge mess, in fact. But um, I got in the cove, and uh, I didn't have a wetsuit on, which apparently you're supposed to have because it is freezing. Um, And I didn't even have a snorkeling mask or anything. And I got in there, and I start swimming around, and I'm like, this is okay. I mean, there's a lot of things going on here, seaweed, and and there's some fish, and there's some rocks. And, you know, when you're underwater in the ocean, it's kind of blurry, and you can't quite catch everything. But then something changed. I went to the store, and I didn't get a wetsuit because that was too expensive, but I did get goggles and a snorkeling mask. And I went back into the cove, and something flipped, right? Those rocks that I was running into, the seaweed that was around my leg, and I was like, what is that? The fish that I could kind of see blurry, I put on the goggles, and I could see everything, right? It all came alive. You see, the reality is, There's only one person who sees with the goggles on. There's only one person who can see the bigger picture. And it's not you and it's not me. And it's not CNN and it's not Fox News. That person with the goggles on who sees the big picture, who sees everything, the good, the bad, that's God. You and I, Scripture says, we see through a mirror dimly. We see in part what God sees in full. Listen, Can I just submit to you, if it wasn't that way, if you could see the point of every evil thing that happened and see it come to fruition, to redemption, and to good, what would you need God for? Why would you need to trust in a God? You'd be God. Because you could see all things, and you could see how it connects eternally. Well, that would make you God. See, ultimately, there is redemption When we trust God and we see that he has a point, even when it doesn't make sense. We see in the book of James, one of these points is to refine us, to grow us. He says in James, trials and testing lead to perseverance. You know this in your life. We know this in our world. Malcolm Gladwell, a best-selling author, I don't know if he's a Christian, But he talked about uh, at a conference he was speaking at with all these really successful business people that he asked those people to raise their hand if they grew up with a learning disability. And he says about a third of those people threw up a hand. And he said there's one of two possibilities in that. One possibility is this, that those people were just so driven and so ambitious and so successful that it wouldn't matter what stepped in their way that they would overcome that and still be successful. But he said the more likely answer is those people wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't because of their affliction. It was because of, not in spite of, you see the difference? It was because of their affliction that they got to where they were. 
I read an article by a 75-year-old man this week who said, all the things I've learned in life, he didn't give a caveat to that, all the things he's learned in life are due to affliction. All the wisdom, all the insight are due to affliction. We see this in Joseph's life in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. Joseph is sold into slavery. He's falsely accused. He's put in jail. And all that happened because... That road would lead to a destination. And for Joseph, that destination would be second in command of all of Egypt. And as you read the story, he would not have gotten there if it were not for his pain. There's purpose in his pain. And through that pain, he's second in command in front of all of Egypt. He restores reconciliation with his brothers. He helps the nation of Egypt through a drought. And God does all sorts of good, not just in spite of the pain, but because of the pain. We see this in our church. We uh, now, uh, probably 16 weeks ago, we got evicted from the location we've been in since the entire uh, life of our church. We were at ASU Prep Academy uh, right off the 10 in Phoenix. We'd been there for three years. We're almost four years as a church, almost our whole life as a church, and we got evicted. And it was on a Friday, and there was kind of a reason, but kind of not. And they gave us six weeks to move out, to move a church, right? There was some pain associated with that, at least for me, uh, and some of our leaders. And we were like, God, what are you doing? This, this doesn't compute. This doesn't make sense. And some of you know the story. We decided to stop And surrender and pray, not solve, not scramble, but surrender. We prayed, and God showed up. And he provided a church building on Sunday morning. God works everything together for good. And there's sometimes where we get to see it. And we get to see it growing us. And listen, can I just tell you as your pastor, I've seen a church grow, not in spite of that obstacle, but because of that obstacle. I've seen many of you grow in your relationship with God because you're saying, hey, we prayed together as a church and God shows up. Maybe I should pray more. Maybe I should do that in my life. I'm not going to scramble or solve in my life. I'm going to surrender and you've grown. Just what James says, that testing produces perseverance. And you've grown and we've grown together. It's galvanized us as a church. Listen, I don't know if that would have happened if that obstacle hadn't occurred, if that pain hadn't. And so God refines us in the pain. We've seen that in our church. I've seen that in my life. Uh, Again, several years ago, my wife had a miscarriage. We had one child, um, and before our second child, my wife had a miscarriage. And it was one of those things, women, uh, you can relate to if you've experienced this. It is one of the weirdest things ever that I've experienced. Because there's no baby yet to physically mourn, but there's still sadness, right, of, of loss, and there was, no, there was no reason for that, right? But I can tell you this, that through those circumstances, my wife and I got closer to one another than ever before. We got closer to God than ever before. It's because we didn't just talk about God being good in those circumstances. We had to trust that God was good in those circumstances. We had to walk in that. And I'm not the only one who's experienced. That's one example. You guys have experienced this, and you know God grows you. He refines you. 
not just in spite of those things, but because of those things, that you wouldn't be where you are today without pain, without suffering. Ultimately, God redeems everything. Sometimes we get to see it. Sometimes we get to see the healing. Sometimes we get to see the miracle, but sometimes we just get to see the refining. And so how do we respond to evil and suffering? Here, I'm going to give you three things. The first thing is this. Ask what in addition to why. If you're taking notes, write these down. Ask what in addition to why. This whole series is named why. Why is a good question. But don't stop with the why. Ask what. Ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Because as we saw in James, in Joseph, in our church's life, in my life, God is trying to teach you something. That may be the good he's trying to produce. So don't just ask why, ask what. The second thing, obey what God has already revealed in the midst of what he hasn't. Obey what God has already revealed in the midst of what he hasn't. So just practically, if you see somebody on a street and they're being robbed, do you in that moment look at that person being robbed and say, God's going to work it together for good. I mean, I could do something, but right now in this moment, I'm going to trust God. He's going to do it. No. You call the cops. Right? If you're feeling strong that day, you interrupt. Right? You, you take that guy off that person and say, no, you can't do this. Right? If someone is sick, do you go up to him and just say, brother, I know that's tough, but God's going to work it together for good. He's got this. No, you, just, you hate those people, don't you? No, you don't do that. You remind them of that truth, sure, but you remind them of that truth. God's going to work this together for good while God is working good through you. That you obey what God has already revealed, even in the midst of what he hasn't yet. And so we see in James chapter 5, we're supposed to pray for one another. So just after the service, we have a guy in our church, his foot is having problems. We're going to lay hands and we're going to pray for healing over him. Now in that prayer, may we say, God, we know you're going to work together this for good. We know you're going to refine him, but we are called to obey and, and pray for him. So we're going to do that. At Phoenix Bible Church, our model will always be love moves. We're called to love. It's a mandate, not an option. And so as we see a hurting world, a painful world, we don't just step back as Christians and think, well, God's got this. He's going to work it together for good. No, we get up and we move and we serve and we love because that's obeying what God has already revealed even in the midst of what he hasn't yet. So we obey even in the midst of suffering. The last thing is this. We don't run from God. We run to him. Just before John chapter 9 and John chapter 8, uh, it says in John chapter 9, Jesus is is walking by, they see this man. Well, he was just walking, and he almost got stoned by religious leaders. He almost lost his life. Jesus can relate to suffering. Even just to this blind man. Jesus just got out of a situation where he was experiencing pain and suffering, and he goes to someone who's experiencing pain and suffering. Jesus can relate. It's not just John chapter 8, though. It's the cross. Pain and suffering is the avenue, is the lane by which you and I experience salvation, redemption, life in God. That God uses pain 
Not just in spite of pain, not just Jesus sort of overcomes the pain. No, because of the pain, you and I experience life instead of death, joy instead of sadness, a relationship with God instead of eternal separation from God that happens through pain, and it happened through a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus can relate. Don't run from him in your suffering. Run to him. He will transform it. He will teach you, and it will be ultimately for his glory and your joy. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you do work things together for our good, even if we don't get to see him. God, I pray that you would bring us higher, that you would lift us higher, that we could seek your heart, that we wouldn't try to be God and make sure everything calculates and computes in our mind, but we would trust you that you are God. God, that we would cling to you, that we wouldn't run away from you in suffering, we would run to you, that you understand and you have grace for us in the midst of suffering, that scripture says you mourn with us. And so God, I pray that if some of these men and women are experiencing suffering, this is not a long time ago, this is a right now kind of suffering, that they would cling to you, they would obey what you've already revealed, as hard as that is, they would trust you. And God, that as we look upon a world that is evil, we wouldn't just step back and just ask why, step back and just think, God, you got this, that we would realize you got this through us and that we are the agents of good and love in this world and that we would promote and create and cultivate the love of Jesus and see light penetrate darkness and see our church change, this community change and the city change and there would be less evil because of the work you're doing in and through us, even at Phoenix Bible Church. Help us to step out in that. Help us to celebrate your goodness, even in the midst of suffering. God, we need your help. We need your help desperately to trust you, and so we ask for that now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.